Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Our guest today, I'm so psyched for this. It's the great Diane Lane, one of the great actors really of our time and someone I've been watching. Diane, you and I are almost the same age. We're like a year apart. And so, you know, as long as I've been watching movies, because you started so young, I've been watching you. And um, when I was a kid, my favorite book was The Outsiders, of course. One of the great thrills of my life was Essie Hinton following me on Twitter. I was like, how is that possible that I know Essie Hinton? And uh, so, you know, you've mattered to me and to everyone in our in our whole age group and, and beyond for such a long time. And, and if anyone doesn't immediately know, I mean, some of the movies you've starred in, the outs- that, that amazing trinity of The Outsiders, Rumblefish, and then Streets of Fire, and then Lonesome Dove miniseries, which I have to ask you about, which is one of the greatest, you know, not that many people know Lonesome Dove anymore, young people, but it is one of the most in- incredible sort of TV events ever. Uh, and then movies like Walk on the Moon, which I'll tell you, I saw that in a screening and it um, it just blew my mind, wrecked me, that movie. Uh, Unfaithful, Under the uh, Tuscan Sun, and uh, this incredibly powerful new movie called uh, Let Him Go, among many, many, many other things. So uh, I have so much I want to talk to you about. And Diane Lane, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be with you. I love your show. I love how you conduct your show. It's a, I call it a show. I hope that's okay. It your is. podcast. And uh, <laughs> no, oh, I'm, I'm psyched to be here. I, I, I imagine you have a very eclectic listening uh, body of people. And, and I love that because um, it's just the diversity, you know, you bring yes, it. Yes, it's true. Some people, there are people who listen to the podcast who don't know who've never watched my ser- my TV series, you know what I mean? And there are people who right. listen because of the guests and I'm, and listen because of you and you don't do that many of these um, interviews. Uh, I know a lot this of people are going to be This is my first podcast. Listening. No, you're my first, Brian. That's uh, uh, amazing. <laughs> that is just awesome. And, um, and thank you for, for doing it. I want to, I want to start in a place though, where we talk about craft and then we'll get into some biography thing because in watching the, new movie. I noticed something that I, I think I'd noticed before, but I was watching it and your performance really closely. And I have been thinking about posture, the way your characters carry themselves. And it seems to me, this is a key to how you build the characters. Meaning, you know, um, this woman in Let Him Go has a, a certain kind of locked in posture, the way if she were going to bend over to put something in the kitchen sink she would do it in a way that's quite different from many of the other characters that you've played and I'm wondering if that happens to you as you inhabit the characters have you gotten to a place where you let that stuff happen or is it conscious as you start thinking about the character you're going to play oh wow I love your questions okay so thank you that's a compliment uh, disguised as a question and I appreciate it um I will say I guess that's true. I hadn't thought of it myself, but truth be told, in the internal world of an actor, you're looking for your 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 portal in and 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 abiding within the character, and how how do you get there? And and there are many access points at different times. Uh, Sometimes it's even a, a, a team sport, and it's a group vibe that everybody gets, and you know when you're clicking. But for for Margaret Blackledge in Let Him Go, um, you know, I have this thing where I breathe the character. I huh. there's a maybe it comes from training with the theater a little bit by accident with the pentameter of Shakespeare or something. You have to know when to inhale. Different people do it at different points, and 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 as you know, if you hear somebody else say the same sentence, um, it'll it'll be a completely different thing, and and. Aspire, respire, perspire, all, it's about breathing. And as you know, I know you practice, uh, you know, meditation and, and yes. uh, breathing is an access point to, I mean, it's, it's the word for spirit in Latin, I believe. And, and so to get the spirit of the character, I have to lend my uh, um, pulmonary system, you know, to, yes. to and, and I, I, once I took a beta blocker for a heart exam, which was completely normal to, to do at, the, at that point in my life, and I thought, oh, my God, I could never work. 
in my craft if I was on a beta blocker because I need to feel the impact of the adrenaline in my body to know if I'm passing a lie detector test with myself in the moment, which is the name of your show, which I love, uh, for for the character. So, yeah, there you go. No, that's brilliant what you just said about the beta blocker. I I got that same 64 slice CAT scan of the heart thing when I turned whatever age, 50. And Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed also what happens to you. And it is fascinating. And I could see how it would um, interfere. And so when you're thinking about, though, the way a character would breathe, or maybe it's not thinking about it, is it just as you... Because the thing about this character is, and it goes to the posture she has, is there's all this restraint and silence and resoluteness right up until there's the opposite of it. And you, it seemed to me often when people play a character from that era, they, uh, they, they have the urge to fight against the mores of the times or the expectations. But it seemed to me you chose to have it come naturally to her. Like there was a gracefulness to the way she accepted her role until the various breaking points. And does that stuff happen to you intellectually or does it just happen to you um, somatically in a way? Yeah, in the body. I love that. Well, both. And thanks uh, for that dissection. I, I, you know, I, one of the gifts of having played women from different eras yes. in history, I haven't, I haven't played a science fiction feature one necessarily, unless you count the Stallone picture of Judge Dredd in right. the 90s. But yeah. I mean, comic books, comic books, so I don't know where that world takes place, future, I suppose. But, you know, um, it, as a woman, I have to remember to forget so many things mm. if I'm playing a woman of history because we were chattel. We were beasts of burden. We were to be impregnated. We were prey. We were barely allowed, you know, equal status to vote or any of these things. Or, you know, you have to be pleasing and you have to win your, you know, to have your will transpire before you, to have access to that. You have to use things that women don't even necessarily require any longer in terms of, I I will just say manipulation, okay, because that is what the weaker sex is left with, because how else can we navigate the world and, and, uh, you know, historically speaking, or historically speaking, um, you know, and and so that frame of reference is ironclad in my memory from playing People from you know certainly like the westerns and the eras of 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 what it's like to ride side saddle in a in a corset and be kidnapped by you know what you were mentioning um, Lonesome Dove before yes, and that was a great entry point for me and the second film I ever did I was 14 years old and and I and I love that little western um, it's called Catalani and Little Bridges and the reason I'm mentioning it is because I screwed up so much on that but I learned a lot. Um, you know, watching your own work when you're a young person can be quite painful. Um, yes. uh, when you're still young, when you're older, you forgive yourself. But, you know, I learned by doing. I wasn't classically trained. I didn't go to Juilliard or any of those things. I learned by doing in the, in the theater as a kid in La Mama, uh, in the experimental theater in the 70s with Ellen Stewart and all the Andre Serban productions and Elizabeth Swatos. And, and, and the, that clique of people know each other. It's, it's, it's a... It's a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a period of time with the avant-garde theater, experimental, and, and just traveling the world with those tours. And I, I know I'm going all over, Brian, but... No, I love this. It's making me think of a lot of things. No, but, but it's a... It's it, a was a ste- somatic, it was a somatic entry point for me. Right. That the, the idea is that, that, well, what you started to say, and, and, and I understand why you folded all that stuff in, it actually all makes sense about having to turn off your modern reaction to what uh, the restraints that are just were in were felt but were invisible to these characters and so there are things you can chafe against in character but there are things that you can't and so you you're saying you have to turn that modern part of yourself off in a way so you're not commenting on it right yeah and you also have to create sacred space because these people were coming from a point of 
the most profound grief that exists, losing your child. Yes. And now they're going to take the grandchild away? I don't think so. Not with this woman. Uh, right. Especially after she's witnessed that the grandchild is physically endangered by this new family that's, that the child is being taken away from. That's an incredible scene. And the performance-wise, I... I I, I do. I really wanted to ask you about that. Let's let's do it now. So, because it seems to me a perfect example of you see it all on your face. You see the desire to confront them. You see, and you. I really felt I was watching. Uh, uh, you you were almost hearing what your husband would say to you, and why you couldn't get out of the car and interfere, and the tension there as you just choose to not engage uh i imagine was challenging to play but uh it really is all communicated beautifully and it seemed i wondered if that was one of the scenes that made you want to take the part oh golly there were so many scenes that i would have said yes to just getting them i mean you know the there's there's so much great great work available to, to be witnessed by so, so many great cast members in this. Um, yes, I don't even know where to begin. Um, you know, but did you talk a lot about that scene though, about what she was feeling, or did you just show up and, and shoot that scene? Well, honestly, what you're describing to me, I'm not sure which scene you're talking about because they were all like that for me because she's constantly in negotiation between the pull of her husband. Who oh, the ice cream scene. The ice cream scene. Her. Oh, in the car when she witnesses yes. what the boy is going to have to contend with the violence. Yeah. Yeah, violence is such a base, uh, you know, it's it's uh, prefrontal lobe stuff. and And she's dealing with, prefrontal lobe stuff, primarily wanting, you know, her DNA to continue going forward in this grandson. And, and, you know, this is the last vestige of her, her dead son going forward. So it's all very sacred territory, but I mean, even just the scenes with Leslie Manville would have been enough for me to to, to sign on for this. And my gosh, to work with Kevin Costner, which, you know, we, we had our, we had our moments together, which was great in the, Man of Steel uh, movie, uh, which yes, some people remember. We were Montauk Kent in that, but um, we knew we wanted to work together again. And so it's kind of miraculous to me that this material found us and that we could create something as a nice gift for 2020 from 2019. I hope that artists who are listening to this or people who want to be, and even if you're not actors, really hear the amount of thought that that you're, that, that Diane is, is, is putting into this. In other words, that stuff about prefrontal, that stuff about uh, want this primal need to have your DNA carried on, none of that is ever said in the movie. All that you see is a, a woman's love for her son and then love for her grandson and protective instinct. And, but what, what you're talking about is having an, doing the work to have an understanding of what's happening. And I think... Uh, and then being able to act freely and unconsciously when you're playing it somatically. But that doesn't mean that you're ignoring the part where you're thinking it through. No, exactly. And it, it just like, I think, I think the terminology sacred space covers a lot of territory. Um, as we mature in years and you realize that time is less in front of you than behind you, unless yeah. I live to be 110, who knows? But, uh, you know, so everything does become innately more uh, precious and, and, um, you know, we don't take for granted that things are going, that you're going to get a repeat. So you invest a lot more of, of, I do, I invest a lot more of myself in things than thinking, oh, I'll get 10 more times at bat, you know. Yes, Oh, I relate so heavily to what you're saying. I really do. Yeah. If you're going to do the thing, you're really going to do it. Well, there's this one little moment, and then I'll, we're going to talk about other stuff, not just this movie. But I do think this movie is a great portal into understanding how you work as an artist. And one thing that happens to women, I think more than men who are actors, is people focus on appearance so much that they don't talk about craft as much. And I want to make sure to talk about craft because it's your craft that's given you this longevity. Uh, and and made people fascinated to watch you for so long because there is, 
there's a real challenge in this movie. So this is not a spoiler, but in the first five minutes, um, you and Kevin Costner, your characters lose their son. And you only have like four minutes to show us what life was like before. And there's this tiny little moment, Diane, that really captured me. Because there are huge Grand Guignol moments that play toward the end of the movie when the world has fallen apart, right? But in this one little moment, it's when you guys are sitting at breakfast and you, with your elbow, you pass him what he's going to eat with a little smile on both of your faces. You make eye contact and it's like, this is a working marriage, it's a happy marriage. And that moment really got me because it's a moment that had to come from rehearsal, from an understanding No, it's scripted. It was scripted. So walk me through that. How how was that moment scripted? Well, I got to say, you know, Tom Bazooka is an amazing writer and director, and I'm grateful that he was the one for this material because when I saw The Family Stone, I knew that this man was able to get all of the nuance out of an ensemble cast and took the time to nurture the little moments because so few movies when you watch them again, continue to deliver yes. the nuance that we all want to see human behavior on screen or why else would we be, we'd be watching. So um, it, it does say that, I think it said in the script that she pushes the plate toward him. I chose it to be my elbow. Yes. Uh, I, I believe, but I could be corrected. I'll ask Tom today. Cause it'll be a nice excuse to get in touch with him. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, we we did have a very limited time to to, to give the audience the, the, the frame of, of the history of this couple in terms of this wonderful bubble of time when you are, as I have said before in interviews, a newly minted grandparents. You know, we, we are newly minted and it's just life is so sweet you can hardly even express it and it's a suppressed kind of joy because you don't want to embarrass the young people about how thrilled you are about everything because you would be annoying, right? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that moment by the sink and 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 when you grab the baby. But in that mm-hmm. little moment where you guys have to establish that, so you pass the thing, maybe you chose to do it with your elbow and you and Kevin meet eyes and have to communicate that. So had you rehearsed that as well or did that just show up on the day that the moment between the two of you? Well, gratefully, Kevin is such a consummate professional and you know, he's, yes, he's an icon for a reason. And, um, you know, he insisted and, and thank God he did because he holds a lot of sway and we, 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 we had our time for rehearsal, which was beautiful and needed because on these small budget pictures, there's no time, you know, you're, you're killing your darlings as you go because you can't yes. get everything in the can that you want for the day. You know, you're losing angles, you're losing the light, whatever's happening. So small, Death by a thousand cuts, right? I mean, you you have to make your sacrifices, and um, and yes. so if you can get as much meat in your sandwich that you know you're going to have from your core performers and moments that you want to get through the rehearsal process, because you've touched you've touched it together. You don't want to you don't want to achieve completion in the in the rehearsal, but you want to have a shared promise yes. of a moment that you want to bring to life. So. So, so we did it. We had it. We, we, we were, and, and funny enough, I think we started with that, which is almost sacrilege to me. I don't like to put the first moments right. of, of a character in the first moments of filming. I prefer to have them sort of tucked away and hidden. So I think. Yeah. So you found the character, so you really found the character before you figure out what that introductory moment should be, but maybe the rehearsal allowed it to happen in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you, so you just brought up a really fascinating point about indie movies. You know, when, 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 I mean, you're at the point where you can choose the kinds of things you want to do. I know that it's not that you're, you know, as a person in, in your fifties, it's not like every single part is available to you, but you're somebody who's on everybody's list. If they want somebody who fits that profile in any way, how do you decide? And if for an indie movie, it's like, oh my God, we got Diane Lane to do it. Holy shit. How do you decide when it's worth it for you? to go through what it is to make an indie movie, which is your creature comforts aren't going to be nearly the same. You know, even like the <laughs> hair and makeup package isn't going to be nearly the same. The Every people don't understand. Like, everything is yeah. different. And especially now. So how do yeah. you make the decision that in your life you're ready to go do that? Well, variety for one thing. I mean, uh, nobody wants to repeat themselves, particularly I always, 
fascinating. I mean, you interview so many musicians and musical people and what it must be like to you have to play your hits, you know, <laughs> because yes. people come to, because they want to hear their top yes. five songs and you want to ce- celebrate the fact that you've made some changes in progress in your artistry. So as an actor, I, I'm grateful that I get to have a whole new palette every time, except I can't change my looks per- only to a certain degree. I can't completely morph uh, without the help of, you know, special right. effects yeah. or something. But aside from that, um, I, I look for variety. So I'm grateful that time affords me that because I'm in a different, I can't play whatever I was doing at different ages. So now I'm doing something else. And, and I thought it was exciting to break the membrane and go into grandmother territory, frankly, because, you know, in 1962 yes. or whenever this story takes place, my age was not considered young for being a grandmother. And, um, you know, I'd already <laughs> through whatever, by hook or by crook, they get young people to play older than they are, especially women, especially women of a certain age. And you go, wait a minute, she's 11 years older than her son in real life. How could she be cast in this role? And they've been doing it forever. So I'd already played the mother of 30-year-olds, uh, you know, a decade ago. Which, of course. I mean, the first time I ever played a, a mother, Brian, was so funny, was with Robin Williams. And my daughter was two years old. And yeah. Robin's I don't know, pushing 40 or something at that point. And huh. it was hysterical. It, it was for Francis Ford Coppola, my fourth picture with him. And it was such an initiation to, you know, he's such a, I mean, he'll live forever in my heart and so many of us, Robin, but of to play his mother the first time I was ever a mom on screen was, uh, I'm digressing all over the place here, but, 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 the, but you know, being a mom or being a grandma is considered, Back in the day, that was considered, oh, no, you're playing mom yes. hearts now. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry. So many people are, are moms and dads, and they do extraordinary things. Just because they're a parent doesn't mean that they're limited in, in their personhood. Well, I love that you played Rod Livingston's wife um, and that in, in um, Romanoff's because the, I, the, the notion that two people of this basically the same age uh, could actually be married is such almost radical in our business, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Thank you for for pointing that out. And he was a ball to work with. And- well, and I just thought to myself, like, that's great because you know, I, I seeing you married to Kevin. I mean, that makes sense in the time period. Actually, like, I get that in that time period, it's possible that he would have married somebody ten years younger than him or twelve years younger than him. But it, but it was great to see that in this modern construct, you and and Ron Livingston married in that. Um, in that other movie. And, yeah. and, and I love the idea. I don't know if people understand, but playing a grandmother, choosing to do that in your fifties now, some would consider that a risky move because it is, it's, it's acknowledging aging, which, which traditionally uh, actresses are, are, have been discouraged by the business to do. Right. True. True. But you can also say, well, she looks good for 70, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do, by the way. You look amazing for 70. What an incredible thing. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, so you got your, your start, Diane, at such a young age and also became famous at such a young age. And many people have to really learn their craft and then get their shot. Like you had a gift and you looked a certain way, but you also really had a gift as an, as an actor. It just all made sense. And I have two questions about that. One is, were you comfortable in front of the camera from the start? And certainly by the time you were doing The Outsiders. And did, did you feel like you had a craft to lean back on then? Or did you, after all that stuff, decide you had to like actually get a craft to lean back on? It was one step forward, one step back for me. I was very uncomfortable with the concept of having a career. I had a different vision for myself. I'm giving my fathers and mothers on Live to Dream, I'm, which is very right. Jungian, right? That's what, that's what people tend to do is inherit the burden of the unlived life of the parent. And, yes. and, and I, I've finally come to terms, well, not that long ago, but, you know, relatively recently, that this is the best dream. That, do I have a better dream for myself than the one I'm living? I don't know. Uh, and it's always like, who would walk away from this to yeah. pursue something else? Because the variety of experience, the people, the travel, the 
the the artistry, the the uh, all the rewards. You know, I mean, all the rewards. All the rewards and the money. I mean, that can happen yeah. sometimes where it's a payday. You never know. But uh, so so there's you know I, I'm grateful to my dad that he had the dream. I'm grateful to my mom that you know she was beautiful and and pursued singing, acting, whatever she was doing there for in in her youth. Uh, it was a different time, and it was hard for people to even just being over thirty was considered, uh, yes. you know, being aged out because perpetual ingenue is very much the way. Uh, I mean, even Jane Fonda, who's the age of my mother, and she's a good friend. You know, she, she's a mama bear to a lot of my generation of women, and um, you know, she used to make this joke saying, "Women only get spring as the season. Huh. Like that's the yeah. one that women get." Yeah. And then. You know, anything else, nobody wants to know. Uh, and uh, I, it's for, for, for her generation and my mother's. So I, I feel excited about walking in the footprints in the sand that have been there before me and the women I've admired in my craft and also contributing a few footprints for the gals who are behind me um, to continue the, the, the journey being longer available to us. So... Encouraging celebration of age and maturity and all of the benefits that come from it is something that is that I'm I'm actually kind of jazzed about it. I really am. Uh, I can't go back. Wouldn't want to. Uh, you know the 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 discomfort of being a young person in this industry, especially yes. different decades ago, uh, was really palpable for me. I. I mean, I auditioned for Pretty Baby. You know, it was just like some things I have indelible memories. I really should write a book one day. I might. But, yes, you, you know, I, I don't know. I, I love Rob Lowe's book. He was that was a good one. He really went into the memories he had of filming Outsiders. He, he had like a steel trap memory. I'm so impressed. Well, yeah. And his whole I read that book, too. And that whole his whole childhood of Malibu with the with those the pens and everything is incredible. Well, I was out uh, there. I, I hung out with right. those guys because, you know, who knew that? the future that everybody had of, of work and career and availability of success. But anyway, all of that, I digress. Um, so yes, I, I was uncomfortable being a female in the business because I started literally as a child. So yes. once I went through puberty and experienced the objectification, yes, it was really quite daunting uh, to expect that I'm, supposed to become instantly okay with being commodified on sex appeal, which is traditionally the female path to power. And I refused it. I walked away. I mean, after Streets of Fire and Cotton Club, I took what is considered 18 months off, which is heresy no, if you're going yeah, to. Yeah, you can't do, I mean, you just can't do that supposedly, especially Be, be respectful of the fact that people have invested in you, you know, uh, <laughs> you're, you're their greyhound and they bet on you. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, but I was allowed this... back. I was allowed back in. Thank, thankfully. Well, you <laughs> earned your way back in, but but, and that was, I mean, part of Walk on the Moon when when that movie. Um, I mean, there was you know many years before Lonesome Dove, but Walk on the Moon, which was sort of like your re-coronation or the coronation of the adult version of you in a really meaningful way. I think that's what made so many of us so happy watching that movie was like, ah, look at what Diane Lane was able to, to do like, she can't look at, look at, uh, this promise that, that she's decided she's ready to take this on now. And that led to that That's incredible so run for you, you know? Yeah, it was, it was, a uh, Tony Goldman was an amazing director and he had never directed before. And he was so passionate and so compassionate as an actor first, because he, that was his path into the, yes. I mean, aside from being Hollywood royalty and his genetics, but, you know, yes. um, uh, so he had a lot to bring t to bear there. And, you know, Vigo Mortensen is... Of course. Just, and Liev, too. I mean, the performances. Liev, I want to get to that. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I'd forget my lines because he was so powerful. I was just <laughs> watching him. Really? Le because well, Liev yeah, was like, so committed, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he brought a fire to that that was just palpable and... Great. That dude brings yeah. a that dude brings a fire to when you just meet him for dinner. By the way, right? I mean, that's just his mode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lee, yeah. I, I mean, he brings that uh, everywhere that he everywhere that he goes. I love that guy. He's an that's an yeah. intense dude. I I do love him. 
I want to get back to Walk on the Moon. And although I will ask you this now, did you get, did you feel, so I was at this early screening, Brian Swartstrom invited Dave and me, you know, Dave, who I make movies and TV with, and me to the screening. It was in this theater in New York. I had no expectations. I remember watching the movie. I remember just really being blown away by your work in it and by the feeling that it had. And I'm wondering from your perspective, were you able to feel this outpouring of love that I'm taught? Did you allow yourself to experience that stuff? Like, could you tell that it wasn't people loved the movie, but could you also tell that people had this tremendous amount of joy that we were getting to watch you do this thing again and that you seemed comfortable in your own skin and comfortable doing it? That's such a wonderful thing, a very uh, sort of piece of minutia that nobody else would notice. But thank you for noticing it because I did go to the screening. I don't remember which film festival it was because things become a blur, but I was there and they screened it. And Tony was there, Goldwyn, our director, wonderful, and, and A Walk on the Moon played. And there was this uproarious kind of applause afterwards. And I'd never experienced that before. And being the protagonist or what have you in the story, if that's the right term, um, I turned to Tony and I said, I think I just had my first orgasm. Like I was, It was sort oh. of like, I'm not sure, but it felt so good. And I felt so kind of mortified and embarrassed that I cared that much. I think that's why people watch awards shows, honestly, is to have the vicarious worm that um, the contenders for the prize go through. And we love all their work, and really there shouldn't be just a winner because that it implies non-winner for the others. And so all of that is so distasteful, and I know that you know Paul Newman refused to attend them and uh, back yes. in the day with the Oscars. He, he poo-pooed all of that. And the competition element of it. Um, but, um, you know, it's nice to be in a film that people love. It's nice to be in, in pictures people see. I remember when uh, Perfect Storm, yes, you know, came out and, and I, was in a, I was in a hit movie and I'd never experienced that before. I'd made, I don't know, lots of movies, but I hadn't been in, a, in one where they're bragging about the numbers and that was the selling point, you know. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, I'd, I'd never experienced that before. So, yeah, I've had all the moments, and and I love it, and it's great. And right now, I'm at this very tenderized kind of sweet spot where I want to pay it forward to the young people, and I want them to feel cared for the way I was um, by patient, generous people working with you, alongside you, opposite you, whatever, um, because you are so vulnerable and you're asked to be, and that's what's what, why actors are considered brave because yes, you have to, you have to go into the yucky, embarrassing, soft white underbelly as it's called, right. Of, of, uh, of your own viscera to, to bring something to the, to the camera and you have to do it over and over and over. Um, and it's, um, it can be an unhealthy process for some people. You know, I think it can. Yes. It, not, not everybody has the muscle, the, the stamina emotionally to. That's a skill. That's not a gift. That's something you learn. Uh, but, uh, no, I Which piece grateful. do you learn? Which piece do you learn? You mean the part where you can learn how to expose yourself and then come back to yourself in a way or then put the well, guard that, back? But Which, also, like, how, how to conserve your energy. Yes. How to um, apply all the parts of yourself that you must protect and preserve so that you are, I think of it as an arrow coming out of your quiver. I, I love archery. I'm not great at it. I've had beginner's luck with it. But in, in some historic, if I were alive in another era, I, I'd like to imagine that I would have been able to be a, a good target, you know, with that. So anyway, I could just go to the bar. Go to the bar and play darts, but we, we can't do that for a few more months. No. But I, I, I'm kidding. All, all the kidding aside, it, there is some kind of personal challenge to hitting the mark. And yes. um, when my father saw um, Unfaithful, just before he was, he, we knew he was dying and it was yes. a known thing. And he got a private screening made just for him. And he said, you rang the bell, honey. Or, or uh. you, yeah, you rang the bell, which, which they ring the bell for you. When you get the brass ring on the uh, merry-go-round, right? You, you remember that? 
I never knew where brass ring, where, where the uh, ring the bell came it, from. It's a carousel. You, that's the word I'm looking for. You right. go up and down on the horses, you go round and round, and you reach out as you go by. You reach out. And if you can catch it and you grab the brass ring, then they ring the bell and they say, we have a winner. So, you know, all his, his references for me were from being four years old in Central Park because I love to go to the yes. carousel there. That's a very yeah. special carousel, that Central Park carousel. Yes, yeah, yeah. My daughter and we used, yes, that's a great, very important thing. So, but... But when you, you talk about that moment of, you know, um, perfect storm, unfaithful under the uh, Tuscan sun, like that, 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 the high that notes, moment. The, the ones that people remember, because there's always an equal or usually more, you know, that people are like, ah, oh, not so much that one, but boy, I loved you in that one. So it's okay. But you, you had gotten you know. to a point where you were, uh, as I said, like it felt to me in um, a walk on the moon, like you were comfortable in your skin in a way, like all of the stuff that you'd gone through to get yourself there felt like it paid off in you having this huge run when you'd already been in the business for so long. What did that feel like to you? Did it feel like, okay, finally, did it just feel like, okay, on to the next one? I mean, how did you process that moment and how did you know, okay, this is an opportunity for me to keep doing like picking work that I want to do and keep doing it. Like what, what did that feel like? that, that, you know, whatever five-year period feel like for you? Well, I'm a kind of shy, introverted, demure person, believe it or not, and my PR probably can't stand that about me, but that's okay. Right. I get compliments. I look at my shoes sometimes. I, I, and, when, and when those high-note moments happen, I, I'll just put my blinders on and keep walking because I find it, I find it uncouth to be self-celebratory. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I, no, I don't that's know. Just being cool. By the way, that's being cool. Like, okay, that makes sense to me. But did, but what about the fact that it gives you options? That it, ah, that it. Well, that's that a hindsight twenty twenty thing. That's hindsight twenty twenty. I can't, I can't uh, measure the value of a moment like that uh, in terms of commodifying myself. That's asking too much of me, Brian. <laughs> so you mean at that time you're not no, but but I know a lot of it. Like I've. You know, because we do sort of the same thing. You know, we were in the same thing. Of course. Like, I, but, I've but, had, but had many actor friends. I've had many actor friends who do recognize those, who actually sort of like go, okay, well, yeah. these are the... I mean, I've told this story before, but I, I, I'll do it really super quickly. But Dave and I were making a movie with Vin Diesel before Vin was famous. And he right. he knew he was going to be famous. Like, we're standing there and and... and we were alone. So when he was like, soon I won't be able to walk anywhere because there'll be people everywhere. And I'm going to, and he sort of like, you know, was able to see five years down the road, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z so that I can be, you know, this other thing. But Mm. are, are are you're never doing, and and then a lot of people are never doing that. They're just picking director, script, actors I want to work with. So where did you fall on that continuum? Oh, probably the latter. And, and really, you know, there's always been a myth that I, perceive as a myth, I could be mistaken, you know, of career building and having a trajectory and having a plot and a plan. And now you do this and then you'll do that. And I mean, you know, there are only the scripts that are written that are around for agents to look through for their clients. Um, Now, I could have been more, more proactive on my own behalf. But like I say, I'm, I'm not particularly comfortable. I've gone to these Hollywood parties and sometimes I'll go stag just because it's easier. (laughs) I don't have to introduce more people to more people. And and I just uh, sort of drift around and look for a familiar face and say hi. But I'm I'm a little uh, still a 14 year old insecure girl in some in some ways inside of myself. And that's okay because that serves some of my work. I have to protect the Yes. the vulnerable parts of me. And if I have to show up somewhere, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do well within that context, but it's taxing. It's not my favorite thing. I, the persona of being a, an actress is something that my father would talk to me about because he was a, uh, he was an acting coach. He, 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 right. he was, well, it wasn't a coach. He was a teacher. He and John Cassavetes had a theater workshop I mean, Bobby Darren went there. A lot of singers and 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 uh, artists from different fields. He had Jake LaMotta and Rocky Graziano, and I think Sugar Ray 
uh, Robinson. And it's, so it's a funny, eclectic group of people that didn't make the cut to get into the, the actor's studio, right? Yes, yes. But, uh, and, and so my dad was teaching acting with John Cassavetes in the 50s, and then John started with these kitchen sink movies, as yes. my father referred to them, <laughs> because he was probably jealous that, you know, John was a maverick and invented a whole substrata of, I can say sub, uh, that's not really true, but a whole sidebar of, of appreciated cinema that at the moment in the 50s, you know, it was almost embarrassing. Uh, my father walked out. He was like, this is, they, they screened Shadows, which was the only movie that my father had done, the first one that Cassavetes did. And they would literally hold the, uh, the light bulbs from the car headlights at no, night right. to, yeah. to, to be their lighting gear. And they would just, guerrilla filmmaking and running around without permits in New York. So uh, dad had experience with various things. So he could advise me, but only up to a point. And he would talk to me about the persona of being a, an actress because I kept saying, I just want to be myself. I want to be, you know, the scrappy kid who right. made good and all that. And he's like, well, we talked about it. And he said, you know, they keep saying that I'm a cab driver, which was true. He did do that for a period of time in my childhood. And he said, it's great. It's great copy. It looks like you, you sprouted under a rock somewhere as though I wasn't a creation of another generation. And he would say things to me that made me very oh. uncomfortable, but they were accurate. It takes two generations to make a star. You know, things like that. And I, I Oh, that's scream. so disempowering. How did you, uh, I mean, that's so disempowering. How did Is you, and I understand, I understand you love him and have like accepted all the sort of, well, y yes, isn't it? I and mean, I don't want to put that on you, but <laughs> but you did this, Diane, right? I mean, you, you're the one who was standing on the set of The Outsiders with all no, these I people. No, I did. At one point I said to him, I said, I love you, Dad, but uh, if we stood on a film set right now, I would know more about what needs to be happening than, than you could tell me. And I mean that with all love and respect. And he understood. And he finally sort of, you know, Have you ever read, Diane, have you ever, have you ever read Andre Agassi's book, Open? No. Oh, you got to read so much um, about it. I'm going to send it to you. I have your address. Thank I'm sending you. it to you. Um, and no, I won't give out Diane's address out to people. I am going to send you that book because it's all, you will relate to it so heavily. The thing you said a few minutes ago about at a certain point, understanding that this career they picked for you actually uh, might've been the best one for you uh, in a way. Agassiz's father really picked the career for him and he hated mm. Agassi hated tennis for a long time. It's a beautifully written book. This guy, J.R. Moringer wrote it with him. was a great writer and you, you will love it and you will relate to it so deeply because also this place of honoring and forgiving the people who led you to that place. But it's but, an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Because I certainly never, ever, ever would I bite the hand that, that fed me or feeds me or whatever that is. But to be a young person squirming under the burden of all of the projected, oh. uh, you know, all the projections, which is what my job is. I'm supposed to work with the invisible energy that comes at you, whether through the audience and the screen or live on stage or even in, a, in an interview like this, like where you say, oh, I'm navigating other people's projections. And, yes. you know, it's certainly makes my therapist rich, but, um, <laughs> well, all of us. Yes. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> no doubt. None about uh, that part. Uh, but yeah. yeah, well, but then you're, when it's you standing there and the director says action when you're young, uh -huh. were those moments for you when you could feel yourself under your own power in a way? Or did that take a really long time for you to cast off the expectations and just be No, I mean, you know, the, the more it was a team sport, and that's a great question, and I appreciate it. It's a very internal question to ask, really. Uh, but I'm, my, my experience was really on the, on the Coppola pictures because I was 17, it was 1982, and everybody was so jazzed and it was a very positive energy space that, that France has created. And it's the stuff of legend at this point, because I mean, there's been documentaries made about the casting process and how awkward it was for the, 
for the young men going through that. Um, and, you know, I, I was able to grow confidence like an onion, like layer by layer by layer or varnishing something. You know, you just have to, there's no shortcut for the layering of experience that validates your, you know, it, it diminishes your trepidation and it increases your courage. And by the way, Brian, my definition of love is encouragement. I mean, that's the etymology of the word, isn't it? Encourage, le coeur, the heart. And, yes. and so to grow in courage because of an experience, to me, is a loving experience. And, and, and I've gotten a lot of love in this business, and I've gotten more courageous uh, from the good fortune I've had to be allowed to stay working and continue to grow, you know? Yes. I mean, you had a lot of self-determination and it's not that you were allowed. The business doesn't really allow anything. You have to go and grab it, I think. No, that's you, true. You, you, you have, have, you um, have to, you have to, you have to show up and do the work, but, and I was given a strong work ethic from my theater background and I love the team sport of theater. There's something you really get to bond with your fellows a lot more than on a film set. Traditionally, I, I have these wonderful experiences with people and then you don't speak to them again. You know, it's very yeah, strange. I saw you say that in an interview, and I wrote this down to ask you about. I, 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 I saw you say that thing because here, here's the way I always view it. And tell me if this is, makes sense to you, which is you go through this incredibly intense emotional experience of people making something for a period of time. I mean, this is what I love about the TV shows. It's this long one, but in, on movies. Right. And then, yes, you might go your separate ways. But do you not feel that then like five years later, you'll be at some hotel somewhere and you'll run into someone you made a movie with. And don't you just feel that, or I feel then, oh, we've been through the wars together. We were both in that shitty fucking bar shooting that scene till seven in the morning five years ago. And we got through it somehow. And I feel so connected to those people, even trench if I buddies. haven't spoken Absolutely. to them. Absolutely. You're trench buddies. Yeah. You, right. I really do feel yeah. that. So I, I, I agree. Sometimes you keep the relationships and sometimes you don't, but I'd still feel that they actually are living on because the experience and it's one of the things oh it's so intimate it's here. family right Your family it, from then forward absolutely it is so deep and intense yeah. that yeah. uh you are fused with these people uh in a way that is if you haven't done this it's hard to understand it outside of sort of like the military or jobs like that where you're trying to do this really hard thing together and you're also so lucky to do it together that that you're, con you're connected. This is one of the questions that made me want to start the podcast uh, was, you know, did the members of REM know when they were first played together that they were going to change the world as a band? Do you know when you're in the middle of a special one? Like when you're doing Lonesome Dove playing scenes with those people, when you're shooting The Outsiders, do you get the feeling ever, oh, oh, this is this is a special one. This is worth it. Or do they all feel like that or none of them feel like that until later? Well, oh, wow. Great question. Uh, that's a hindsight 2020. Uh, yeah. you're, impl you're implying that. And so... To go back into my physical, I mean, the the true nature of memory is that it's a it's a reprint of a reprint of a reprint. So yeah. now the memory isn't pure any longer. You have the memory of the memory, so it becomes this very sort of uh, watered down uh, facsimile of itself. So yes. the memory becomes, you know, like an iconery of of the original memory who knows right? Because yeah the memory so becomes informed by the success but i guess um um, um so no, then maybe the answer memories. is yeah the, the experience that i have is there is a kind of i want to say the lusting it's almost like gravity gets a little less like yes. there is a you know when there's a tornado coming and you feel the the wind literally pulling upwards like yeah. why are the tree limbs going up why are the tree limbs <laughs> that's not cool but it's a, it's a, it's a, I call it the tummy weenies. Like when you're on a, on a roller coaster and you get those butterflies in your stomach. Yes. Because you're going up and down and around. And so there is a little bit of that. It's like pixie dust and, and you do feel it, but I don't dare. I don't dare 
uh, admit that I'm acknowledging that because I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> right. No, you can't say it out loud. No, no, it's not a question of saying it out loud. It's more a question right. of, you know, you're standing in, in, you're standing there as this, well, like you said, you know, you're standing there with Vigo and Liev and is there, a, and Tony Goldwyn, and is there a moment when you put your head down at night on the pillow and you're like, okay, that was a good day. And this whole thing feels special because I do know that when they're a disaster, I can tell. I can always tell when it's really? bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. It's the worst. I've never had oh. the feeling. I've never had the feeling on a set. This is terrible. And then been pleasantly surprised. Um, it's, I see uh, that. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so the question is, can you tell when it's going to be? Uh, or can you tell when about, you read this? I think it's about when people really, I call it having your talons in the dirt. That's my, that's my, yes. I, I'm a visual person. And so for me, when you stand your ground and you're truly embodying the moment, um, oh. that when you can feel it and it could just be like the best scene in the movie where the, where the truth and, and that, and that's what I mean about sacred space. When I'm in, when I was in my grandmother's church and she was a preacher, Pentecostal minister, reverend, pastor, all of it, doctorate in all of it, the real deal. And I would go down to Georgia and I'd sit there and I would be so uncomfortable because, you know, I'm sorry, but it just was a little bit intense for me as a young person. And also I'm in showbiz, right? So, I got a little uncomfortable with this, uh, you know, uh, energy. And uh, But this thing that my grandma would do, which was so sweet, she would say, um, testify. That's what they would do. They would, they would call it testifying. What has God done for you today? And so people would put their head up and they, and they would start to say, and it was really, you know, what they're grateful for and, and what they noticed and what they can say they're grateful for. And I would get you know, warm and fuzzies all over me and tingly. And it's kind of like that somatically to go back to where we started of when the truth is spoken, you can feel it. Mm. It, it. It owns a different energy than all the other things that are also being said. And there's, and you're in the craft of creating words. And the one thing that I think is irreplaceable on, in, in, a, in, a, in a project is the writing. You know, you can recast your movie, you can have a different director, you can shoot it in another language on another location, but the core truth that that story is conveying, if it's, if it, if it, if it holds weight, if it's load bearing, everybody's going to know. That is absolutely brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant observation about how this stuff works and that idea of knowing those moments when the truth is what's going on. The, right. And even if they're unspoken. Yep. Well, because, I, you know, I used to have this really um, probably non-PC joke, like if you want to get nominated for an Oscar, play a mute. Because, you know, it, the less you say, the more you entrust the audience with filling in the blanks for you. They're, they're invited. They're well, invited so in. so funny. I mean, you told. can actually look at a specific performance, right? Samantha Morton in Sweet and Lowdown. You, it is right. Samantha Morton in Sweet and Lowdown. You are now she's genius, but you are so drawn to that performance and what she does in that movie. Um, You're inviting the audience. Yeah, she's you're you're right. You're completely like, I don't watch Woody movies now, but if somebody does, it's their business. And that is a an absolutely two performances in that movie that are insanely, insanely great. Did, Mm. Did uh. Did you have any idea when, so you were talking to your dad about this stuff. When you came out of The Outsiders, did you have any idea? I mean, you were Essie Hinton's age when you were, that she was when she wrote The Outsiders, when you were making the movie, right? right? She was 17 when she wrote it. And did you have any, so young, it's crazy. Uh, And, you know, I was like uh, six months, a year younger than you, I think. So for me, it was such a big deal seeing that movie and all these people acting out, these people who are in my um, imagination, you know, that book just right. lit, lit us all up. Did, did you have any idea of the ups and downs of a Hollywood career, the contours of it? Did, 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 did you have a sense uh, of this begin that this was an official beginning, even though you'd been working before, or was it just like, okay, well I'm here, I'm doing this. And then we're going to see what, what happens next. Definitely the latter. I, I, I was not a, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, 
I mean, my dad used to make jokes about, do you have the killer instinct and all this sort of thing? And it just, it kind of turned me off a little. Like I didn't want to be, I understand that. That wasn't my, that wasn't my nature. That just wasn't, you know, that. But you were on a set with a lot of people with a serious killer instinct. And did you have a sense that some of these people were on a true rocket ship to success? Was it, was any of it a surprise to you watching over these, like, you know, the, the, 35 years since or whatever it is the the outsiders and the cast i i yeah. I, uh, I i there are some stories that are really kind of not mine to tell yes of course. so i i'm not going to share them but um i in again it's a hindsight situation I, at the time it might come off as competitive. I mean, these were young men just th- com- yes. becoming familiar with their own testosterone levels, which were probably too high at the moment. I don't know. So no comment there about judgment or any of that sort of thing. So it's hard to know. Uh, and they were asked to, and it was the point of the story. And yes. we were encouraged yes. to do that because we were, we were living in separate quarters, slightly nicer quarters for the Soches than right. the greasers were allowed to have there in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1982. So you know, it was it was a, a theatrical experience rather. I than watched a just, few of those scenes. I watched all your scenes last night, and again, you know, and so watching you in the middle of all that testosterone of all those people, because well, how about Rumblefish? Were, we went right into Rumblefish. You know, we didn't even have a week yes. off. I don't think we just rolled right yeah, into it's it. It's amazing, and uh, you know that was that was wild to be able to. But it was the first time I think I was allowed to be angry on camera. And, you know, I was so grateful for that middle finger I was allowed. It was totally improvised uh, by me. Uh, but when I flipped Matt Dillon off in in that movie because he's cheating on me, I'm playing Patty in, in the story in Rumblefish. But there's something so empowering about women being allowed to be angry. Uh, it's almost a forbidden emotion, uh, historically speaking, or historically speaking, it's just oh, no, we mustn't have a furrowed brow. Well, this, um, but Diane, Diane, this brings us right back to where we were talking about the new movie, which is this woman who starts with such restraint mm. has a couple of moments where she does let it out. Oh, and, yeah. And I loved that because it, it, it speaks, that was the modern element of the piece, right? And I think it well, speaks to just this. she earned that by being like, in a long-term relationship. She'd earned that with her husband. So it, it, it implies a certain intimacy when you can reveal your disdain for something, you know. Um. <laughs> yes, well, even that little moment, even that little moment when he gets the drink for the first time in town and, and you say, um, you happy? And Yeah, happy, yeah. What, what does he say? You happy now? We're good? And, and just that little moment, there's so much one can learn about actors in that moment because you guys don't get into some cat. It's like, you're just, it's a moment of a husband and wife in a really difficult situation, communicating with only a couple of words, a lifetime of history. Happy not to get a lecture or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what he yeah. that's what he says. Yeah. And it's just awesome. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but you were saying tapping into that anger. So that, that leads me to ask a question about directors, which was, mm. What have the best relationships with directors looked like for you? Like, what, because people never ask actors this, and, and a lot of the time people can go through half a movie without the director or showrunner, if that's who's the person on the set, and the actor ever talking about communication. It's like when people are young in relationships and they don't talk about communication, like how they like to be loved or how they like to be communicated with. And I'm Yeah, what's your language? Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering, do you talk about your language with directors? And, and what have the best absolutely. ones looked like? Well, I go running over and I say, I literally, I said, give me an adjective. Faster, funnier, will not offend me. It worked for Howard Hawks. Mm. You know, what do you want here? I'm, I, I, I aim to please. I, I, I don't, my, my most unhappy times are when I go home, like you say, and put your head on the pillow and you go, mm. I did not get to the point where I was beyond my own. Like I knew I had more in me and I, oh, and we yeah. didn't get to it. And, and that is, that's the burden I bear, but you know, it, it really is dependent on, I mean, I remember Adrian Lyne just killing me, man. I mean, 50 takes of things and stuff. And 
I literally herniated my neck and all this stuff. And I complained to my father, who was still alive at the time. And he said, you know, Diane, maybe he's trying to get you nominated. Okay. And I just wow. thought, ew, ew, wow. but yeah, but maybe because I don't know if I, you know, quote unquote, surpass my directors in terms of like, do, do I bring it? Do I bring it no matter what? That's what I want to be. And, and Kevin did an interview recently, Costner, and said sweetly about, he said that specific thing about me, that I was director proof. And I thought, well, then I've arrived because- Oh, that's awesome. But that's not what you want, right? You want to be director proof, but but I imagine you want the director to see you and to be able to find a way to- Help we want a journey get... together. We, we want a journey together. Absolutely. We want what are the best man... ones of those look like for you? So is that Adrian Line thing what you want? Someone just make you go over and over again without real... I mean, you did get nominated. You got nominated, though. Not, uh, you know, not... It's not that he, he got you nominated, but... Well, what? yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt there's a trust. I need wind in my sails. I need the, tr- I need the trust. That's that's when I feel it. I mean, Audrey Wells gave me that. God rest her soul. She's with me forever in my heart right. from under the Tuscan sun. Yes. She empowered me. I mean, I had done um, Must Love Dogs with 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 John Cusack, and, and that was a, a great experience to attempt comedy. I'd never, when I say attempt comedy, meaning it was overtly intentional. It was not a right. genre that I had that I had really been considered for before. Um, and it was very uncomfortable and hard because it's just experientially a very different uh, kettle of fish for, for actors. And I won't go too far down that because we don't have all the time in the world yes. here, but you know, so, so to do under the Tuscan sun, she empowered me. She believed in me. She, there was something about her that put wind in my sails. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's true from all actors, but most actors I know they do really well being encouraged with it back to that word. You know, uh, yes, the love uh, you know, encouraged in a way that you believe, though, right? Because I was having yeah, you I have mean, this, I was, you have this I, in you, you have this in you. So do it again and ah, and, that's and, great. and and allow yourself to be, you know, unattractive or allow yourself to be more constrained or whatever the the adjective is that the director is going to give. But the manner in which it's given, that's just me. Now other people distrust that. They feel manipulated, like, oh, I know you're just saying that to massage my ego to get me to but who knows? It's like a marriage. Like you get married at hello with director and actor on a set, right? Yes. You're gonna have this marriage and it's gonna make this baby and out it's gonna come and the whole world's gonna see it and judge it, hopefully. And um it's the only industry I know that's dependent on popularity entirely, entirely well, dependent only on and, that. Right. And so that moment, yes. And so that moment, I mean, entertainment of, period. Yeah. Yes. That moment of connection is so crucial. And do you now, so now you will go over to a director and you will, you will say that stuff. I, it's funny. I was talking to Griffin Dunn the other day. We uh, um, had an outbreak before we got me. to, to, right before it got too cold. That's awesome. Uh, right before it got too cold, but he was talking about being an actor. We, we met, at, at, um, we had dinner outside somewhere and, and, and he was describing his biggest fear as an actor is when the director comes up to you with that big fake smile. And it says like, great, it's just great. And it freaks him out because he's like, I just want to know. So you, but you want to genuinely, you, Diane, want to genuinely feel that they understand what you're trying and that they know you can get there. With the director. Yes. Yeah. Because then I don't feel that, that uncomfortable manipulative thing. And, you know, disapproval is good too. I, I don't mind being shamed into a good performance. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember for George Roy Hill on a little romance with Lawrence yes. Olivier, my God, I mean, at a certain point, I had to cry, and I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to, and that terror made it possible for me to cry. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you. I, I mean, the fact old. that we're just the fact that we're just getting to George Roy Hill and Olivier at the end of this makes me feel like I am such a bad interviewer. But uh, we, we'll we'll have to do a part two someday. Um, Diane, can Lane, I just you are, can I just mention yes, one thing? I did please. get to be directed by Griffin Dunn. That did happen to me. So, he, and how was he, that? He was 
it was great. He was he was a love bug. You know, he was very excited to be there and in that role of director on a film yes. set. And you know, bless Anton Yelchin forever and Kristen uh, Stewart. But I we agree. were it was it was and Chris Evans. I mean, it's a great cast. So. I love know. Griffin. I think Griffin is the most interesting. He's like one of the most fascinating people in the world. Just a beautiful guy. I know. He covers a lot of territory. But Man, I'll that guy covers off. a lot you, of ground. I'll let you I'll let you have your day, your evening, where whoever whatever time this is being played for all of y'all. <laughs> no, Diane Lane, I have to say, I have to just thank you. Um, you're listen, I, as I say, because we're the same age, I this is what I say about Tom Cruise too, when I got to spend time with him. It's like I have been watching you for my whole life. And watching you grow up as I've grown up. Do you know what I mean? And 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 uh, you feel a real deep connection with people who've been able to, like you've been doing what you've been doing for so long and at such a high level that it's hit various touchstones in my life. Like I'm not surprised that in 1999 when I saw Walk on the Moon, I was so blown away by it because I was a young parent and you were you were doing this uh, stuff at the same time and and sort of acting out the lives we were living and with such honesty and ferocious honesty really that uh that it's just an honor to get to to talk to you and I hope we get to work together sometime and um and I, I just thanks for coming and, and and doing the podcast. Thank you Brian it's been it's been really a lot of fun and I'm grateful also for your editors whenever they appear. So. <laughs> yes, there will be very little editing. All right, everybody. Diane Lane is not really on social media. Are you? Are you on social media for people? To no, find I'm you? not. There are some uh, imposters and uh, so you can't you can't go people. tell her how great you think she is on social media. But go watch her movies. Go watch uh, the new movie. Let him go. And you can find me at Brian Kaufman on social media because I can't stop myself. All right. Thanks, Diane. Take care. Bye.